everyone, and welcome to Shadow Talk, Digital Shadows Weekly Threat Intelligence Podcast. My name is Stefano, and I'm here today with Saul and Rory to discuss the latest cyber operations, a part of the hybrid warfare in the Russia-Ukraine context. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Yeah, ready to, uh, to have a good old chinwag about Ukraine. It's on everyone's mind at the moment. So yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, excited to discuss this topic with you guys. I know you're very passionate about this and I'm sure you'll have lots of good insights. So, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Doing a bit too much reading on this thing like everyone else, getting silo vision, <laughs> which, uh, as all you intelligence professionals will know, is not a good thing. Absolutely not. So, yeah. So, the, what we can try and do today and try is to try and get like a broader view of this topic, extract like some key points that we want to discuss and then like have a good conversation around that so we can try and take uh, some different perspectives on the topic. Uh, before we started, I thought it would be good to, good to give like a quick recap, although I'm sure everyone is on the same page here. But yeah, in the past few weeks and months, the current the, the situation between Ukraine and Russia has been spurring fears that Moscow could launch an invasion in the coming weeks or months. On their side, the Kremlin denies this. And of course, they argue that the NATO's expansion in the East constitutes a growing threat on Russia's western flank. Um, in the past weeks, there have been held various bilateral and multilateral meetings to avert any moderate escalation. The last one has been the uh, United Nations Security Council meeting which was unfortunately marked by feelings of resentment between different parties and small progress towards any resolution. However, negotiations will continue over the next few days and weeks, uh, especially on a bilateral basis between the US and Russia. Additionally, uh, this is one of the latest uh, piece of news that we got. The New York Times has reported that during a press conference uh, the other day, like in the past week, uh, Putin claimed that the crisis of uh, Ukraine is a provocation entirely made in America, and I'm quoting here. And this provocation. <laughs> your opinion, Steph. This is a this is a quote. Sorry. This is this is a quote, right? That's not your opinion. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I just want to lay it clear. <laughs> <laughs> These are not my words. And again, as Putin was saying, and I'm quoting again here, just for transparency, <laughs> um, this provocation can be done in different ways, such as pulling us into some armed conflict and then forcing the allies in Europe to enact those harsh sanctions against us that are being discussed today in the United States. So as we can see, there are two very polarized narratives again about what is happening there. So what we want to try and discuss today is how does this translate in the cybersphere? Well, again, a quick recap. Two weeks ago, we did like another Shadow Talk episode where we discussed the defacement attacks against multiple Ukrainian government websites. And in these attacks, threat actors replaced their main webpage with a politically charged message threatening them to be afraid and expect wars. Two days after this attack, Microsoft announced that he detected destructive wiper malware on the systems of dozens of government entities in Ukraine, despite the initial Ukraine claims that no data had been destroyed. So here I wanted your input a little bit, because like attribution in the field of cybersecurity for intelligence is one of the most complicated efforts that security teams can endeavor. Um, no firm attribution has been provided yet on these attacks. However, as CDI analysts, I, I want to get your input into 
what factors do you look at when assessing the likelihood of an attack's origin? And uh, what did you think of this attack in general? Well, there are there are quite a few levels at which you can look at, uh, you know, identifiers or anything to kind of point towards an attack's origin. From a from a you know a top down perspective, you want to look at what's actually being targeted. Um, so obviously, in the case of Ukraine, you've got government websites being defaced and then later finding the presence of destructive malware. So if you want to just take like a very brief run through that, you've got Ukrainian governments being attacked. So that's public sector organizations, um, governmental organizations. So you've got a bit of an indicator there as to who's going to be responsible for that. It's going to be a politically charged attacker, likely nation state, uh, either in origin or supported, which I think is the assessment that Microsoft actually came to and they were looking at that. Yeah. And then you've also got destructive malware. Destructive malware, we have seen quite a lot with Russian cyber attacks, um, typically aimed at Ukraine, actually. We see a lot of destructive malware attacks um, in that region. Uh, also with the Winter Olympics as well, but I guess we can talk about that a little bit later. The Olympics seems to be a bit of a funny time for Russian threat actors. They seem to be quite keen in doing stuff whenever that happens. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's like scheduled in the calendar or if it just happens to be every four years. Um, time will tell. You know, the Olympics started today, so, you know. Hopefully, hopefully nothing major happens. Um, but yeah, you could also look at a more granular level. You could look at indicators of compromise. You can look at artifacts, um, messaging that you can see uh, in the instance of a defacement attack that would indicate uh, intentions. So there's a lot of levels at which you can you can look at that. I, I would say. Yeah, I think it's always uh, important to look at who benefits from a particular action. I mean, in this case, yeah, public defacement. Um, is, I guess, a bit of a petty diplomatic tool. But then if you look at the actual wiper malware itself, perhaps the discovery of it was planned. You know, if you think, oh, it's a demonstration of capability, which again, diplomatic tool gives the impression that, hey, we're already in your systems. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And uh, yeah, these are all good points. And especially like, as, uh, as as Rory was saying, you know, if you try and see who could do that and like what the benefit is, as I was saying as well, you can try and like get like a broader picture and uh, like a closer uh, attribution in this case. However, like firm attribution, like it's really complex. It requires a combination of all these factors you just mentioned, so both technical and strategic. And at the same time, I'm just playing like devil's advocate here. It's also important to be mindful of like potential false flags that may be yes. planted to try and um, hinder attribution processes even more. Um, but yeah, as, as Rory was saying, um, disruptive and destructive cyber operations have been carried out against elements of Ukrainian society by adversaries attributed to Russian governments or with like uh, lose ties to them in a way uh, since at least 2014. CrowdStrike did a good report on this and I will link that in the resource sections below. Uh, but these operations, like these destructive uh, operations, have impacted several sectors across the years, including the energy, transportation and financial sectors. And what they try to do most of the times is to try and like affect business operations and also like uh, go like like leave a good dent in like in the public opinion. Um, additionally, the good the, the interesting thing about this destructive operation is that they rarely constrain to the initial target entity and collateral damage are very likely and then to happen uh, quite often to be fair. So 
right now, like given the the the, the tense situation on the border between Ukraine and Russia, a lot of organizations are afraid or like um, are concerned about potential attacks that may target them directly or that they like be impacted like uh, as a third party, for example. Uh, so. How likely do you think that other organizations in these regions or other regions should be um, could be impacted by these attacks? And uh, yeah, what would you do in that case? Well, there's a there's a there's a lot here we could we could talk about, and I'm going to try and give us nice little like pivot points um, because this is a big topic and this is a big conversation, um, and cyber forms a pretty significant part of it. So I think it's probably quite important to consider that. Uh, cyber, you know, cyber attacks, uh, I, I think, are kind of viewed by Russia as like another alternative to conflict. Um, we quite often see destructive attacks prior to um, military action with, with, with Russia. We saw it with Georgia. We saw it with the uh, incursion into Crimea in 2014. Um, and we've seen it after that as well. And that kind of forms part of a model of, 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 of conflict. And also you have this sense of proportionality, I think, and with whispers at the moment of, and, and threats of sanctions against Putin himself or even in London and in the United Kingdom, oligarchs and their assets in, in the UK, um, American sanctions on individuals closer to Putin uh, uh, options as well. These are all on the table, whether they're actually going to be followed up or not, or just a deterrent or even um, a, you know a, a stick. We're not, we're not yet. We're not quite sure what the carrier is yet, but maybe that's just not war in Ukraine. Um, but cyber forms a big part of this. But I, I think you know there's a, there's a good chance we see more uh, cyber action against Ukraine in in the short term future, uh, regardless of whether military uh, military action actually occurs, because there seems to be a higher a higher tolerance for cyber attacks and say, you know, like Russian troops crossing into Ukraine proper. Um, the stakes, I'm not saying the stakes are lower, but the the threshold for responding in kind would likely be cyber too, um, which obviously has less physical risk um, in terms of, you know, being on the brink of war. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the issue here is that we still, you know, decades down the line, haven't established what sort of cyber offensive cyber actions constitute a castle spelly, like a reason for war. Uh, I mean, cyber security operations are a pretty big part of Russia's like asymmetric warfare or hostile action tool set. And, you know, they they serve various purposes. And I think that any potential fallout to organisations or countries uh, that aren't or that aren't Ukrainian uh, is just sort of a, a price that they're willing to pay, uh, perhaps even uh, an objective. Um, but yeah, I mean, they they form a good diplomatic tool, uh, but they also uh, prepare the battle space for conventional forces as well. Um, you know, they create administrative and command chaos in sort of rear, rear echelons in Ukraine or or NATO or you know, ultimately, in this whole concept of asymmetric warfare the uh, civilian populace or civilian organizations are, I think, a, uh, a, or are perceived to be a valid target. So I think it's all part of the plan. Definitely. And then, you know, you, you, could, you could cut the cables digitally, so to speak, and, you know, that, that would cause absolute chaos in terms of communications. Yeah. Um, but the risk of that, of course, is say like an attack, just it's completely hypothetical here, say an attack on the national grid in Ukraine or some sort of major telecoms provider in that region uh, shuts down government comms 
there's going to be panic. So yeah. although we've said that, you know, the, 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 the threshold for cyber attacks might be a little bit uh, higher in terms of, you know, responding in kind, the, the, you, you could see something spin out of control with something devastating um, in terms of a cyber attack. And they can spin out of control, as we saw with NotPetya, which ended up infecting the world. And that wasn't meant to. Um, you know, we had shipping companies, you know, communicating via text message to try and figure out where each other were. And, you know, all that carnage, that wasn't meant to happen. You know, that, that span out of Allegedly. control. Completely. Allegedly, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you have this risk of something that might form part of a larger doctrine, as you said, so just spiral and it could make the situation worse. I think that's why this is so delicate right now. Um, mm. to, to jump back onto the, the sanctions question as well, hitting the money might, you know, could, could respond to something in kind, um, which is why there's, there's a, you know, there are genuine concerns about the risks to sectors that may not even be operating in Ukraine, but might just be in Europe or North America or anywhere, anywhere that, that seems to be vocal against Russia could have something of concern. Um, so although this is localized, there is like a larger concern here. Um, and I think cyber kind of forms that global part. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree with that. And the thing um, I'm a bit concerned about is that like, even if there is like a possibility of this happening and it's like spreading out of control and seeing like another not page here, I think at this moment, the situation is like really, really tense uh, on the border. So I think every actor in that field may try and avoid a scenario like that. Because like a destructive malware that spirals out of control, like that one could really escalate tensions like at a dangerous, dangerous level. Um, So in my opinion, what we could see more at the moment is more like this the attacks, the defacement attacks that we've seen in Ukraine. That may be just like an historical bias, like on my part, uh, with these like cyber operations working more like on the psychological level rather than getting to impact the the, the physical aspect as well. Because like Asol was saying, like we still don't have like a proper threshold into how to respond to certain attacks and. Uh, yeah, I think like this is a really dangerous field to try and test where that threshold is, yeah, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that if I was a nation state trying to force some sort of geopolitical outcome, I would always rely first and foremost on, I guess, the psychological uh, operate influence operations before uh, going into any, any sort of destructive operation, as you say, uh, could spiral out of control there. So, yeah, I think you'll probably see more defacement attacks uh, or things of that ilk. And, but you'll also see, as, as Microsoft discovered, um, you know, destructive malware in place uh, if required. You know, they're, they're, preparing, a, they're preparing a battle space um, and whether, whether they actually execute or not uh, really depends on, on the diplomacy. Absolutely. And I, unfortunately, I didn't actually bring my crystal ball to the podcast recording today. <laughs> but in the instance where conflict doesn't happen and forces get drawn back. There's also the chance, um, you know, and this is of course purely speculative, there is of course the chance that that tension can actually be maintained in the cyberspace. And that yeah. and that's a concern, um, you know, and it's really important when, to, in, this is why, you know, the large scale diplomatic crises such as these are so hard to come back from because nobody wants to lose any face. 
nobody wants to suffer any reputational damage um which some argue is the reason why there are troops in Ukraine in the first place or on the border of Ukraine, excuse me, you know, is to, is to grandstand and to send clear messages and to come back from that requires serious calculations. Part of those calculations could be the physical pressure comes off, troops move away yeah. potentially, but pressure stays on digitally and, that, and that's a serious risk. And I think that's why we're seeing you know, like uh, it was reported yesterday that the FBI has, you know, essentially notified US organizations and what it deems to be critical sectors saying, let us know as soon as you can, please, if you see something that yeah. could be Russian in origin, because we need to know. Uh, and I would imagine that that's quite, quite a smart decision. What a perfect opportunity for some other nation states to conduct some little operations off the back of this and uh, stay under the radar, eh? Yeah. <laughs> no comment sorry i'm getting conspiratorial <laughs> but you know we, we we have seen false flags before we've seen false flags being used by russian actors um and you know there are chances of these things happening and you know everything does seem very international with the winter olympics um i hear team gb is doing pretty well in the curling by the way for those who are interested <laughs> this obviously isn't going out live though so anyone that's listening is you know gonna know that already um, and I, I think, like building on like the Olympic thing, like the, there's also been that Olympic destroyer malware going out of the was that the 2014 Winter Olympics or something like that. Um, I will check that up later. 2018. And 2018. Sorry, time flies. And uh, and yeah, that was an interesting example of how false flags were being used by different nation state actors to try and hinder attribution processes. So yeah. Uh, like observing how this will evolve in the next few weeks will definitely be like an interesting and challenging endeavor for for anyone concerned about this or for anyone interested about this. So yeah, uh, let's stay tuned on that. Um, but moving on to the third section of the podcast, like the the final one, let's say, um, I also wanted to chat a little bit about what would like a concerned organization need to do um, about the, the potential risk stemming from this tension. Because uh, yeah, as we know, the main job of threat intelligence is to try and inform mitigation and remediation strategies. So it's really important to do that in this situation as well. Uh, the interesting thing here is that yes, Today, we've discussed a lot about destructive malware wipers, uh, but traditionally uh, state-sponsored actors and Russian state-sponsored actors in particular um, use the cyber capability to carry out intelligence collection and information operations. Um, otherwise, uh, uh, however, as we've seen, like there is the growing risk of a destructive cyber attacks against like Ukrainian, but like you more know, generally like Western organizations as well. Uh, both the both the public, sorry, and the private sectors are issuing important guidances on how to proactively mitigate any potential cyber activity stemming from Russia. We have seen uh, guidance coming from the British National Cybersecurity Center, the US Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. And on top of that, we've also seen the private sector uh, providing some good documents highlighting like important and proactive strategies to implement right now. I think Mandiant's one is a really good one and I'll link that one in the resource as well. 
but yeah, so I wanted to get your input as well here. And so my question, I guess, is like, what is what are some important mitigation strategies you would recommend to our listeners right now in terms of the of yeah of this risk that we're talking about? CISA uh, released a pretty robust and comprehensive advisory on this, uh, and I suggest you read and follow it. Uh, basically, notify and educate your employees, conduct snap phishing exercises, enforce multi-factor authentication, reset passwords. Uh, don't click the link. Uh, I've done <laughs> every podcast. Um, you know, or audit or audit your privileged accounts. Uh, also. Be aware or make yourself aware of uh, common TTPs used by threat actors linked uh, to the Russian state. And uh, also uh, have a look at the vulnerabilities that have been previously exploited and make sure that you are patched. 100%. Um, and at, at, at a strategic level as well, uh, ensuring that your connections to the supply chain um, are robust and secure is a big one. Um, Destructive malware uh, and wiper attacks tend to spread pretty quickly, and there's a potential that uh, that could be conducted through a supply chain. So if you are a supply chain yourself, um, or if you are inevitably part of one, then making sure that anything you share, anything that could be linked to other organizations that could form, you know, wider lateral movement needs to be uh, checked basically make sure it's safe make sure it's secure um and you know this is good life advice as well as it is in cybersecurity. communication is key making sure that in the event of anything suspicious being detected responding quickly reporting quickly and making sure that you open those uh lines of communication to ensure that anything bad can be stopped as soon as possible have you done your due diligence today <laughs> ask yourself that keep yourself up at night <laughs> nice that's great thank you guys i think that's good Pleasure. advice and uh yeah i will as i mentioned before i'll also link the ncsc and CSIS guidance and the resources below so you should have um a broad spectrum of everything you need to know about these mitigation strategies um, as always, if you've heard anything that you're curious about today, don't forget to check out the content available in the attachment section below. Um, on top of that, I'd like to shout out three blogs that are coming out this week. The first one is the What We're Reading This Month. That's the January edition, of course, where Shrey, Chris, and I discuss, discuss three of our favorite articles regarding cybersecurity related issues that we read in January. So go check that out. Additionally, uh, we put out a blog on the cyber threats to the China Winter Olympics, that as Rory mentioned just today. And finally, uh, we have a blog introduce, introducing, sorry, Digital Shadows, new vulnerability intelligence uh, capability. And so I know you've been working on that for quite a few months now. So I'll leave the stage to you. What do you want to tell yeah, us about this? Yeah, yeah. It's been uh, the, com the culmination of a few months of work uh, leading the vulnerability intelligence team. Uh, essentially, it's a brand new module that will allow IT professionals to track vulnerabilities at all stages from uh, disclosures, advisories, proof of concepts, uh, published, has it been exploited in the wild, has it been patched, 
um, are there any mitigation options, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of having to do the laborious task of tracking that yourself, uh, you can pay us to do it for you. So I recommend <laughs> you do. Let's hope that it's not too relevant in the near future with anything of Russian origin. Um, but it's important that it's there. Um, yeah, I'll be honest. are used a lot. Regardless of the geopolitical situation, we are always busy. So, uh, yeah, yes, uh, we, we, we started uh, the team. The team rolled out uh, more or less right when the whole uh, Log4j uh, vulnerability became popular. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a busy two weeks. Spicy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> chucked straight in the deep that. end. <laughs> it was, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Chaos. Thankfully, it's, uh, it has calmed down slightly, but yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, it's very exciting, very exciting yes. times. And, uh, you know, we've, got, we've been getting some good feedback on the product so far. So, yeah, hopefully I haven't said too much. Sorry if I have. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, no, no. Congrats, mate. It's been like, yeah, it was a, it's been a huge piece of work and it works very smoothly. Like I've been playing with that myself a little bit for some reports. So that's really good. And yeah, just congrats to you and to everyone in the company, of course, who worked on that. And well, that marks the end of today's episode. Thank you, Saul. Thank you, Rory. Thank you. Pleasure discussing these matters with you. And to the audience, like if you have any question about anything we've discussed today, or if you're curious about anything else, our email is always open. As it's shadowtalk at digitalshadows.com. Feel free to reach out to us. And yeah, have a good week and have a good week. See you later.